Cyberwork is celebrating its next major milestone. As of July 2020, Cyberwork has had over a quarter of a million listeners. We're so grateful to all of you that have watched the videos on our YouTube page, commented on live release feeds, left ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast platform, redeemed bonus offers, or just listened in the comfort of your own home. Thank you to all of you. Because our listenership is growing so quickly and because Cyberwork has big plans for the second half of 2020 and beyond, we want to make sure that we're giving you what you want to hear. That's right, we want to hear specifically from you. So please go to www.infosecinstitute.com slash survey. That's www and the numeral two, www.infosecinstitute.com slash survey. The survey is just a few questions and it won't take you that long, but it will really help us to know where you are in your cybersecurity career and what topics and types of information you enjoy hearing on this podcast. Again, that's www infosecinstitute.com slash survey. Uh, please respond today and you could be entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. That's www.infosecinstitute.com slash survey. Thanks once again for listening. And now on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, I sit down with a different industry thought leader, and we discuss the latest cybersecurity trends, how those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, while offering tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. One of our first and far and away most popular guests on the show is with us again on the show today. Amber Schroeder is the CEO of Paraben, a 20-year-old computer and digital forensics company of which she is owner and president. Uh, Amber is a major figure in the world of computer forensics and incident response as an, and as an expert in the field, a creator of top flight computer forensics tools, uh, and as someone who is pushing the concept of computer forensics forward, uh, we're going to be talking today about breaking into the computer forensics field, uh, some of the more interesting aspects of the job, and some of the tools and skills you'll need to get started. Amber Schroeder is the CEO and founder of Paraben Corporation. She has spent the last two decades as the driving force for innovation in digital forensics. Amber has developed over two dozen software programs designed for the purposes of recovering digital data from mobile phones, computer hard drives, email, and live monitoring services. In addition to designing technology for digital forensics, she has also spearheaded procedures for mobile and smartphone devices, as well as the emerging field of IoT devices. Amber is the patent holder on the EMI shielding container, otherwise known as a Faraday bag, as well as the inventor of many other shielding products. Amber has written and taught numerous classes for the specialized field, as well as founded multiple certifications in the field. Ms. Schroeder continues to support uh, continue support through book contributions and other industry speaking engagements. Amber, welcome back to Cyberwork. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Good. Uh, so, um, you know, while I encourage all of our listeners to go back and listen to Amber's first episode on the podcast, uh, I know that not everyone wants to go back and root around through two years of our back catalog. So some of these questions might get repeated a bit. But uh, to start with, we always like to find out a little bit about your cybersecurity journey. So what first got you interested in cybersecurity and what was the, the big obsession essentially with, uh, initially with computer forensics? I think the thing that made it so I really felt that it was a good space for me is uh, I'm learning disabled, so uh, I'm dyslexic, mm -hmm. so I naturally did everything backwards. And digital forensics really clicked in my brain because it's really that opposite side of cybersecurity, and mm. it's that puzzle solving where it was okay to think differently. It was actually a bonus as opposed to if I would have wanted to become uh, like an author, it would have taken me forever to just do one book. Okay. I'm doing much better as contributing to books because it's hard gotcha. to get all of it out at one time. 
And um, it really helped in the problem solving. So I thought that was a, a good matchup for me. Can you sort of speak to the way that, uh, you know, that you think of computer forensics as being sort of like the opposite side of the coin of cybersecurity? Well, in order to understand your security, you have to understand the artifacts that your security can leave behind. Okay. Um, because they represent new vulnerabilities that you might not have accounted for. Uh, so I always ah. think that doing a forensic audit is a good way to really make sure that whatever security system you've designed is actually solid, that you're not missing something in that process. I see. So, yeah, so you're basically saying rather than thinking in terms of building a defense system, you're thinking of the places where in the existing defense system someone can break through? Yes. So we do, um, on the kind of more of the security side, we do some app pen testing as an example. And it's our understanding of how the mobile operating systems work and function, and then how they get laid down into the file system, how their database structure is, and then what vulnerabilities exist, which is where mm. that security side comes in. But I would never get there if I didn't start with the forensic artifacts. Okay. So um, we have, you know, a lot of listeners, we've been, we've been uh, getting a lot of uh, sort of surveys in. We, we, we asked a survey of our listeners, what, you know, where they started. And we know that a lot of them are just considering cybersecurity for the first time. Uh, and thank you for all, who, all of you who are t- filling out the survey and letting us know about that. And hello. Oh, um, so for listeners who are, you know, just learning about this profession for the first time, can you give us kind of a basic description of what a computer forensics professional does? What, what are the regular tasks and projects that you do and and what makes the job interesting? So a computer forensic professional is going to go through and they're going to do imaging, which is um, a scientific method of copying data. And then after that is done, they're going to go through and actually go through all the individual pieces. So if you want an analogy for it, it's like taking the box of the puzzle and then finding all those pieces, putting it back in the box, taking the box back, and then saying, how am I actually going to put together this puzzle with the way that they did it? And Mm. you might be missing pieces that you have to go and find. You know, all of that is part of the digital forensic um, profession and experience. It's definitely for people who like to really think through the minutia of the data. Um, So if you only like to look at big pictures and you don't like focusing in on hi, I'm going to be doing the same thing for the next couple weeks, then it's probably not the best choice. Um, but if you really love the minutia size, then uh, it's a good choice for you. My best investigator I have on my team, she has a psychology degree mm-hmm. um, and she loves the details and she is just fantastic at it because she understands how people think. She understands how they work with their data. So she was not obviously originally in this field, but um, she's become one of my best investigators because I was able to teach her all the nerd stuff. That's not hard. It was, I can't compensate for the way you think through your data. Now, um, can you sort of walk us through what, you know, just to use your example, you might be doing one thing for several weeks here. What would, can you give us an example of of, of a multi-week campaign like that, where you're just doing, you're sifting through one set of details for, for weeks? Like, what does that, what does that look like? What, what kind of things might you be looking for? So in our professional services, we do a lot of smartphones. Um, we also do computers, but I'll use a smartphone example just because sure. everyone can relate to that. It's very rare you get someone that doesn't have a smartphone anymore. Right. And um, we were doing one with an alleged uh, rape accused. He was accused of rape and we took on the case and we processed through his phone and that took about a day 
but it was processing the data that took the next 45 days. Oh, and wow. the reason is, if you think about it, for this person, his entire life revolved around his phone. He didn't actually have any other electronics. Hmm. His last internet history search was who is Paraben Corporation, which really cracked me up because that's never happened before. <laughs> I was like, whoa, look at that. How long ago was that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's because we were doing, doing this investigation. Oh. Uh, the authorities had handed over his phone and given it back to him. And his mother had actually contacted us and oh, okay. tried the sob story. And it was, it was difficult to not say yes to her because of it. Sure. And then we went through and once we processed it, he had over 350,000 text messages. Wow. That's, and this is the technical term. That is a boatload or a buttload <laughs> of yeah. text messages. That and that's not even the highest we've had. We've had wow. over 500,000 text messages coming off of someone's phone. I don't know that many people to talk to them. <laughs> yeah. You literally have to be doing a text a minute, I think, or more. It is. And yeah. of course, he was he was younger than I am. Not that we will say how young I am or old I am. Mm -hmm. And so his vernacular was different, but it was a lot of K, what, you know. Right, 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 right. You have to read that all in context. You can't just yes. search it. Yeah. Because that doesn't come up right. Yeah. So how does, so like for weeks and weeks, you're you're sort of, what are you sort of like putting like putting it through different algorithms or looking for different search terms and keywords and trying to find sort of like narratives in there. Exactly. You're trying to kind of find a scope of what's happening in that day. And for someone who texts that much, um, he also had almost 200,000 cookies on top of it. <laughs> wow. It was a lot of cookies. Like yeah. he could be like the cookie monster of smartphones. There yeah. Was some yeah. He, he was he was everywhere and he was letting everyone uh, have at his phone, I guess, huh? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and we had to, to limit our scope to a date range. And then yep. you always want to then kind of expand a little bit beyond it and then kind of put those pieces together. But it was interesting because he was from a different region than I'm from. Mm -hmm. And his vernacular was not one that I necessarily understood either. Mm -hmm. So I have to take it through the lexicon side of it and really think through it. And that's where you start adding more and more time because right. you get your initial impression and then you have to do your next one because a digital forensic person, it has the burden of proof. Yeah. So that has to be something that you're willing to really take um, responsibly. To, right. to me, it's an obligation. So it's, it's a big deal. And it's a little different than maybe how I would look at a pen test. You know, I do those and I don't necessarily feel some yeah. weird emotional obligation or some... Um, value ob obligation to that as I do when I'm working right. in different kinds of case. Yeah, I was thinking, I was, I was literally thinking of that, that example when you said that, because like we, you know, we post these walkthroughs of capture the flags on our, on our website mm -hmm. and, you know, those sort of, you know, ring a certain bell in your head where it's exciting. You, you got to have this quest and you got to find the thing and you go through all the gatekeepers and then there it is. But this is a completely different type of quest here. You're not looking for that thing. You're sort of creating that thing out of sort of, hearsay yeah. and like a person's life and sort of context clues and like you say vernacular and context and everything so that's really fascinating it, de it definitely gives you a different perspective on it i do have to say that out of all the professions in the world that we might have experienced this is the first one in my career path that every day is different yeah there's okay. not a single case i've ever worked that oh this is exactly like that other one that i was right. working on that was bob's it's like no everyone is different and so that part's really exciting so i think yeah. people who like variety 
in their life. I think it's mm-hmm. a really good field for them. Now, do do most computer forensics professionals have multiple cases going on, or is it kind of case yeah. where you have you have something like this, and that's all you're doing for forty five days? Typically, um, in our queue, we'll have four to five cases that are in the queue, and okay. then one investigator will work two to three. And we don't do a ton of professional services. Our primary goal is we design the technology investigators use. But with the professional services, we do process. It's about you know four to five in the queue, and one person will work two to three, depending. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and uh, like a big case like this, you have like a team of like multiple people working on different aspects of the data. Yes, because you're going to get multiple perspectives on it. So sure. I worked that case and then my person with the psychology degree also worked it. And because of that, um, it gave us a different perspective. So we made sure that we did 100% our best work possible. Everyone looked at the data. We made sure we saw the exact same things, different stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so I guess speaking of the fact that like you said that everyone has a smartphone and not everyone has a computer these days and, and you know, it's been two years since we last talked. So what, what, what has changed about the practice of computer forensics in these past two years since you were last on the show? Are there new techniques or skills to be learned or sort of a new methodology or anything like that? I think that computer forensics is actually moving. Um, it was originally, you know, this big and now it's kind of expanding out. Yeah. And I think part of that is what we're seeing where more people are spending uh, time being online and connected, their digital fingerprint has actually grown. And mm. so we're seeing more people rely on that investigation where you might have gotten, you know, X number of cases. Now you're getting X, Y, and Z just because more people are generating more data. Mm. I think cloud has really emerged since the last time we've talked as a skill set that people need to have and understand to be able to be good in computer forensics because. It's not just about, let me image your computer. Um, I need to image your computer, your smartphone, and all of your cloud accounts that are associated with both of them. And they're all going to impact together to make that investigation valuable. Okay. So can you sort of talk about a little bit about like the, the, the tool set that someone getting into computer forensics would need to know? Obviously you said that a lot of the sort of like nerd tech and whatever you can, you can teach them, but like, what are some of the uh, sort of raw uh, skills or, you know, intellectual curiosities or even just, you know, things that you should have on your resume to let someone know, you know, who's looking to hire you knows that you're sort of serious about this kind of thing. I think you need to have a base understanding of obviously the big cloud. Um, And I say the big cloud is really understanding AWS and Azure and Google. Those are my three big clouds that you'll see most often in Mm -hmm. digital forensics, knowing that that's not going to be a surprise to you when you log in and go, wow, this is the worst interface I've ever seen. No offense to any of them, but they're just not rockstar interfaces. No, we're given the tools we're given and you just got to work with them. And you're kind of like, oh, great. Now I've got to navigate this. Super. That they understand those basics of what is compiled in it. So am I looking for buckets? Am I looking for something else? Knowing that before they go in, that's just, I think, an introduction cloud class on each one. I think they need to understand both operating systems in smartphones. A lot of people get really centric where, you know, oh, I'm a dedicated Apple user. I'm not going to use anything else or I'm a dedicated Android user. That's a huge mistake, I think, in InfoSec in general. You cannot just be on one team. You've got to make sure that you understand and you work with both because how can you investigate them if you don't work with them? Yeah. Yeah. So um, in terms of like the tech used to sort of analyze this enormous amount of data, has the tech changed significantly in in recent years? 
Uh, you've seen more people come into this space, I think. Um, there are a lot more tool providers. Uh, Paraben is primarily a tool provider. We've seen a lot more competition because it is kind of a sexy space. It does have like that CSI effect that it's oh, like, yeah. oh, you know, hey, yeah. I'm going to be interested in this. Yeah, solve the case. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's like, ooh. But I think the tools, there are some some definite leaders in it. And this space is driven a lot by tool certifications hmm. because it's kind of like getting certified in a drill. Um, that is, that's yeah, but it's, it's also kind of like a classical sort of like, uh, you know, like you're part of the plumbers union or you're part of the, you know, like you, you know that you have these, these tools, you know, down to a, to a science, I guess. Right. Right. Because you don't want someone who doesn't know what a P trap is working on your, your sink yeah. because it's going to yeah. go epic bad for you. For sure. And it's the same uh, with digital forensics. You don't want someone doing smartphone forensics that hasn't been certified in those smartphone tools because yeah. they're going to try to look at it like a, a Windows system or like a Linux system. And it's, it's really not that it's its own thing. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump, jump ahead a little bit and then jump back to where we were, but because that, that brings up a question I was going to ask later, but as a, as a product vendor yourself, uh, you know, I want to talk to you about the distinction between, you know, training concepts versus training in the use of the, the product itself. So, you know, with the state of tools being what they are today, you know, uh, is there, is there more to be done than just knowing which button to push and which tool to use? Do you really need to understand the sort of like the theory and the practice behind why you're doing what you're doing? So I am the big advocate against cowboy button clickers. That's what I right. call them. They're going in and they're like, oh, hey, all I have to do is click these buttons and boom, yep. I have evidence. It's like there is no case solved button out there. It's actually a big joke. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think you have to understand the fundamentals in it. And I've always thought that in any curriculum I've designed or we teach, we always teach, you know, this is how Android is structured. And then this is what your tool is going to do. And that's what it's going to look like. And remember back how it was structured. That's why they match up to one another. Right. Because as a forensic expert, you have to be able to explain it to someone else. And you can't do that if you say, well, I just clicked these three buttons and boom, here's yeah. my evidence. You have to say, no, I know that app came out of the file system. And when it did, it had a structure of a database. That database is comprised of five things that then point to one another. You know, they have yeah. to be able to at least go to that level. Yeah, and I, so I have to imagine that that also gives you sort of a flexibility in terms of your problem solving. If you sort of have a better sense of knowing why you're doing what you're doing, then if the the button you push didn't do what you thought it was going to do, then you have other thoughts in your head about like, well, maybe I'll try this and I'll try this and I'll try this. Yeah, maybe maybe it was I didn't get root. Maybe it was I need to try right. this method. Maybe I need to talk to the chips. You know, all mm -hmm. of those things are going to impact it. And I do think it improves your problem solving. It makes you a better investigator yeah. because we can all click through a lot of buttons. We do live in a windows world and it was designed for us to just click through a bunch of buttons, yeah, that's um, true. but it doesn't work when you're investigating it because those buttons do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, so um, speaking of kind of the, the current times we're in now has, has the uh, change of the world brought on by, you know, COVID-19 pandemic, has that changed the practice of computer forensics or the job market for computer forensics experts or, you know, the quantity or quality of experts needed in the industry? I think it's changed the market for it. I think we're still, even though we're multiple months into the pandemic, I think we're having a problem with that adjustment of how do you function in a lab when you're telecommuting? Right. Um, yeah. Because all the rules of evidence are all about controlling it and keeping it in this little sandbox here. And now you're telling me my sandbox can't be there. 
I have right. to have that sandbox exist over at Bob's house, over at Sally's house, over at Amber's house, whatever it may be. How do you make that happen? Which is part of the reason I think those cloud skills really come into play. Mm. It's because mm -hmm. the cloud's able to give you that remote capability and still maintain all the rules of evidence and your chain of custody the way that you need to. And I don't think most of the people in digital forensics were prepared for that because they yeah. really never worked that way. It's just not a remote job as a right. general rule. And okay. they've had to make adjustments. Now, how, how would, how, you know, in the before times, how did it look? Did you, were you all sort of like working in the same place and sort of like talking about the same skill set in the same area and stuff like that? Like, yeah, I, everyone, I guess I, I kind of want to see like in, in my head, like what, what it looked like then and what it looks like now. Everyone would be in the same lab um, on separate workstations, working separate cases. Got and it. then you'd be able to, it kind of reminds me a lot about how you run a development environment yeah. because you never have one programmer just work on an island by himself. It just sure. doesn't go well. And so you'll end up with three people in a lab similar to developers. You have three developers and you have one tester. And you might have the same within a forensic lab. You have three investigators and then you might have one person that's, you know, the evidence coordinator or the liaison with whoever it is that's doing the other side of the investigation. And there's a lot of brainstorming that happens in an investigation because you might just be like, hey, I'm missing something or I remember this because it's a lot of knowledge to retain in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is there a lot of kind of like cross chatter, like while you're working or people are kind of like throwing out ideas and, and sort of talking in the room and stuff like that? I think in general, not all the time, because those people you kind of would want to smother with a pillow because you're like, I can't concentrate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But in general, you're all sort of there for each other. If someone's like, what do you, what do you make of this? Or yeah, what like, do you think's going on here? And things like that. I, I haven't seen this before. I don't understand all of a sudden this windows artifact that's in on every device I've seen is not on this one. So are we all kind of leaving like Slack windows or Zoom windows open now? Or how are we how are we sort of like keeping that line of communication open when yeah, the data is in multiple places now? I think that's part of it. Um, uh, one of the things we'll actually talk about another time is uh, Discord. I think people right. are making private Discord channels. They're using Slack, all those different tools. That's how we keep those communications open. Okay. I think the hardest part is that you still kind of work in a little bit of obscurity where it's like, it's, I kind of openly say like Bob, I'm just, it's all the Bobs out there. I'm a big fan of Bob. I don't know. It works, <laughs> but works every time. <laughs> you, you, you start talking about, you know, well, with Bob case one, you have all these different code names so you can talk on them and not have as big of a risk, but there's a lot of secure communications that happen back and forth. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so as someone who's uh, owned a computer forensics company for over 21 years now, you hopefully have some cool war stories about ways in which Paraben's tools and techniques have, you know, helped solve a crime. Can you tell me some more unusual, some of the more unusual cases that you've been involved with over the years? Um, some, but some of them are probably the, not so confidential. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> There's a enough. lot of confidential ones, but I'll, I'll use my case example I had earlier. So in the end, that particular case, he was he was an athlete. He had lost a scholarship. You know, he was going to go pro. All of that. Um, in the end, he was actually innocent. Mm. He was being set up. He was being accused of this. And it's all about a different generation. They were both members of Gen, Gen Z, mm -hmm. and it was you know you didn't do exactly what I wanted to do. So I'm going to throw a digital fit. That's what I call it when they start doing yeah. the accusations and saying, hey, this all happened. Right. And he's like, I have a record of this in my Snapchat. Mm. You know, it's like, okay, well, let's see what we can put together. Um, okay. The nice thing is that generation does not lack 
in a digital fingerprint. Yes. It's <laughs> yeah, right, lot. right. They're living there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all the time. Like no question about it. You know, I occasionally have to go and chat with one of my kids online who's in the other room just to make them come to dinner. Right. <laughs> now is, uh, are more of your cases sort of aimed at people of that age and, and with that sort of media saturation or does it sort of come from all, we had a previous guest who I think had to, he had to sort of like prove like some sort of like money laundering that was going on in a company and he had to be able to sort of reproduce like the sort of financial yeah. transactions that were happening and stuff. Do you, do you sort of see cases sort of like at all different levels of like media set or, you know, digital savvy and stuff? We do. We do a variety of them. Um, yeah. we're, we do work several cases as the primary thing. Um, but yeah, we've done any for, for that type of case, we've done some financial fraud, obviously some divorces. Um, I do, I, it's sad, but I do a lot of suicides. Those I usually do pro bono because right. um, it's a, just a data recovery process for the yes. families, different things like that. Um, it's It's been an interesting variety. I had one that I just did data recovery, uh, but the woman was in her uh, late 80s, early, no, she was in her 90s. Was in her 90s mm-hmm. um but she was running kind of her own little private um i'm trying to think of the politically correct way to put this uh companion service ah. on the side okay. in her 90s right. so i had to like give entrepreneur. her full, yeah i would that's what i was saying i'm like way to go she's <laughs> yeah, like entrepreneur, late in life way to yeah. go yeah yeah there's someone for everyone, the pot for every lid, whatever yeah, works. Absolutely. Scotty Bowers yeah. is smiling in heaven. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so can we talk a little bit about some of the, you mentioned the sort of uh, tool certifications and stuff like, mm-hmm. tell me, tell me a bit about sort of what the sort of study process is these days and what sorts of tools people are needing to get certified in to do computer forensics well. So the study process is really about finding what area you want to be interested in. There's a base knowledge for everything. Obviously, okay. we work very Windows centric. When you do digital forensics, you're going to investigate, honestly, what's popular. Um, mm-hmm. And so you need to be familiar with it. You can't be, I'm exclusively, I'm only working in Linux and I don't want to ever look at anything else because that's not going to work. Most of the people don't run Linux. Um, so it's understanding that baseline and then trying to get a relationship with different vendors that says, hey, you know, let me try a trial out, watch a bunch of uh, podcasts. Actually, I think YouTube has been a huge resource for computer forensic people. I probably, we put out, we try to put a YouTube video out at least two to three um, every other month, which I know doesn't sound like a ton in the world of YouTube, but for the type of content we're doing, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's pretty dense, I imagine. Resource, yeah, fuel resource for people. Okay. And then- they can practice. It's a lot of it is practice. We like to give data sets. There's a lot of those free out there mm-hmm. um, that have been made by NIST that you can download. And then you have sample data that you can run through all the tools. And your whole goal is to see what's different from tool A and tool B and how they processed it. And why did I get different results? That's what hmm. people want to see that you can do as an operator. Right. In okay. The so I imagine there's a lot of sort of tool tutorials, but also kind of people <laughs> showing themselves actually like doing it. So you can kind of watch yeah. things happening. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, with the world being kind of as strange as it is right now with, you know, the pandemic and people being at home and, and not in, you know, person with each other, you know, we sort of have this weird situation where we both have kind of a skills gap in many cybersecurity fields, but also job hunting is a little strange right now and oversaturated. Yeah. Do you have any tips for, for job hunters in the computer forensics field to stand out from other candidates? 
I think the big things is make sure they have the right certifications for the tools that match up with that position. There okay. are some baselines like NK certification has been around probably the longest hmm. out of the tool certifications. They were a founding tool. And so that's a very common one to look out and make sure that you have when you're trying to apply in the field. Then as you find, hey, this is the area I want to specialize in. So I like smartphones. Obviously, I do a lot of work in that area. I like IoT. So make sure I'm finding and following a certification path that leads to those tools in that area. And I think what happens is people try to consume that entire space and it just doesn't work. You know, own this, own your specialty and it's going to go well. And then everyone will hate this. Be a good writer. Yeah. Oh, it is my yeah. biggest pet peeve. We actually mm -hmm. give a writing test. Mm, um, okay. gram Grammarly is fantastic. It helps all of us, but we want to make sure that you can go from portraying something that might be technical and complicated to something that anyone can understand because the people who read your reports are more at the nerd level of your mom's as right. opposed to your nerd level. Yeah. And so you've got to be able to convey that knowledge. You got to dial it down and sort of be yeah. able to tell a story. Yep. Uh, so, um, sort of on the other side of that, if you find yourself maybe laid off and at the moment, but looking for new work in this field, uh, you know, what are some other activities you should be sort of prominently undertaking or showing off to show that you're, you're not taking your un unexpected downtime, you know, seriously, are there things, you know, certifications or study things or doing sort of freelance, you know, com computer forensics or whatever, are there other things you can, you know, so it just doesn't look like you've been, you know, eating Doritos on the couch. Doing nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. I think it's a good time for you to explore other neighboring InfoSec certifications like the cloud information if you're not familiar with cloud. Okay. And as an entrepreneur myself, I always think it's a good idea that this is a time if you might not be employed to go out and look at what it takes to start your own business mm -hmm. and uh, start picking up work. Talk to some of the law offices that might be around you and say, you know, I'm skilled in this area. Talk to the tool manufacturers. We do special discounts for people who are just doing business startups to say, hey, let's let's suspend the billing over a couple months. Let's help you get your feet under your ground. Hmm. You know, so you can have an opportunity to start your own firm. Because a lot wow. of times you can do that on the side and you're just doing a different style of work so you don't compete with someone. Uh, partner up with some of the private investigators that maybe don't want to do computer forensics and become their nerd. Who, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to go to nerd? Everyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. People thing. need it. <laughs> a exactly. lot of people. Need it. I know for, you know, for my mom, I might be her go-to nerd. Let's hope oh, I, I definitely am. Yeah. yeah. And then you're like, <laughs> I did try to pass that off to my younger brother. I'm like, you'll be the parents go-to nerd for a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 You've heard a Thanksgiving described as a parental tech amnesty day. Where <laughs> and, it, and it's always about a printer. I don't know what yeah. it is, but it's always about a printer. <laughs> Always. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to go from, um, you're talking about, you know, maybe starting your own, your own company, but I want to talk about like the sort of like the strata of, of computer forensics professionals. So like you might be a single professional or even a freelancer, uh, and then you become part of a larger team, but eventually there's a chance that you might sort of start doing jump ups to different levels where you're maybe the manager of a, of a team. Yeah. So can you talk about some skills and qualities that you need to go from computer forensics work to computer forensics team management? I actually just wrote a blog about this the other right. day. I was writing two blogs. One was about actually setting up your lab and how you can do it on a budget that actually works and making smart decisions because there's always overhead. Mm -hmm. And I think people forget that. They're like, oh, I have an unlimited budget. I can buy whatever I want. Just because you can buy whatever you want doesn't mean you should buy whatever you want. You should right. be smart and strategic in your purchasing choices. 
Um, for the management of people, my biggest thing that I brought up in that you need to show as you want to move up the chain is to make sure that you're picking people that have that variety of skills. So um, developers always work in kind of a pod. I feel very nerdy saying all it, but making yeah. sure that your skills of your people also work in that pod. So maybe someone who's really strongly left-brained, you get someone who's really strong on the right brain side and then get someone in the middle. We have a, an interesting hiring question we ask everyone, which is um, if you were a kitchen appliance, which appliance would you be and why? And that's, we've asked everyone since the start of Paraben this question, because I want to see where the balance is between your left and your right brain hmm. and whether or not there is a relationship that happens between them, because that's going to tell me if you're going to fill a gap in the field that I have within my teams, et cetera, are you going to be look different look at the problems differently? And I don't like it when people answer things like I, I'm a knife because I like to cut things. That's bad. Okay, that says <laughs> yeah, don't that hire you. Really no, bad. <laughs> we're gonna, bad thing. We're going to need some follow-up <laughs> questions. Yeah, that's, that's a, we're good. We're really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. We're, really we're backing away. But for the person who says, you know, I'm, I'm a microwave because I like to take things from one state to a new state yep. in a very quick and efficient way, that's a win. That's a hire. Right. Because that might be what I'm missing on my team. And that's what a manager has to think of is it's not who you like. You're, you're not supposed to be friends with the people you hire. It's, uh, if that happens, that's great. But at the end of the day, you're making yes. sure you're filling all the gaps. Right. Because you're the one that has to pick up everything else. As yeah. a CEO, I still can take out the trash. I did not lose that skill. Right. Yeah. So what is the correct answer to the question? I know there's no correct question. Correct, correct. I don't think there is a correct answer. It's um, stepping back and realizing that it's about uh, gap filling. And yeah. as you want to move up, show that you have the ability to do that. Show that you can actually organize the team. So yep. if you're working a big case and there's a pod of you, take the lead. And don't be afraid yep. to take that lead because people will notice. Mm -hmm. Even if you fail, they still notice that you stood up and like took it. You know, yep. that's a big deal. Don't be afraid to fail. I think a lot of generations are really afraid of that. And there's a lot of failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially in, a, in a, something like this that's so like, there is no one correct solution. So you're, you got to get used to the possibility mm -hmm. of any, you know, uh, was it Miss Buster? You say failure is always an option, you know, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so. Um, and uh, it's rough sometimes when you tank it, you like tank it. It's like yeah. face on the floor kind of tank. Right. But if you can get back up again and show that you've learned something and not do the same mistake twice, people notice that. That's who gets promoted. Nice. Um, so uh, what are some ways that computer forensics managers sort of support their teams and make their work better? Like as, as a manager, what is, what is the thing you do to sort of make sure, you know, once you've sort of found the right people for your team, but how do you sort of lift all the boats? So uh, you're going to laugh at me because it's like an epic old book. Um, I love the book, Putting the One Minute Manager to Work. Oh yeah. Okay. Crazy old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's short, which is great too, but um, I don't believe that you can uh, take a withdrawal out of someone's account without putting a deposit in first. Hmm. And I think that's true for all people. No one wants you to just be like, Hey, you were, you were horrible today. Can't believe you messed that up. And you just, you beat on them. It's let's point out everyone does something that is a positive in investigation. You know, you were really fast at processing those images. However, next time, I think if you could go through and thread out the process differently, it would mm -hmm. become much more efficient. What do you think you could do to improve on that? 
Right. You know, I made a deposit, I took a withdrawal and I ended on a deposit. That's when you really flourish with making sure you have good people. I am an extremely blunt person. All of my team knows that about me and they know if they screw up, I'm going to call them on it. But the difference is I'm going to get over it too. Right. Once it's been talked about, it's done. We don't have to keep readdressing it over and over again because I'm assuming you're going to make the improvement. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, so speaking of, of, you know, books that, that have, you know, been an influence for you or whatever, is there a particular tip that a mentor gave you in the past, uh, in preparing for this career that's, that's stuck with you? Hmm. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I've had some amazing mentors too. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them, uh, they're still in my life and they're still mentors to me because I don't think I've ever quit learning. Um, I think the biggest one is, and it sounds so cliche, but uh, there are very few females in digital forensics. They're growing, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe I am still to date the only CEO in the space yep. with the tech company that's female. And it was very hard. It was because yeah. there wasn't anyone else to relate to. And um, I had different barriers to overcome than other people did. Absolutely. And they looked at me and they said, you know, you need to quit caring about what those people think and just do what you think. Okay. And I said that was oddly profound because you really get caught up in it. I don't know why women out there who might listen to this, I don't know why our self-esteem is so driven by everyone but ourselves. Right. <laughs> but right. it truly is. We got a really messed up formula going on. Yeah. And I just quit thinking about what they were thinking. When I walked into a room, I said, I think I'm going to rule this. Mm-hmm. And I did. And the ones yep. who didn't think I ruled it, you know what? I don't care anymore. I Good. have to just own who I am. Love it. Uh, can can you talk? That's great. Can you? We've we've had a number of uh, uh, women on our show, and we've liked to talk about sort of the place you know women in cybersecurity and and the special you know this, the 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 difficulties and you know pitfalls, but also the opportunities that you know that are are possible. Um, do you uh, think about this at Paraben? Do you sort of work towards you know? gender parity and hiring? Do you, do you think that, that, you know, is that, is that something you're, you're, that you have like a strategy towards or you're thinking about when, when so forth? Um, I think I do, which is interesting. I probably have, um, I think my workforce is actually 70% female, nice. which is, which is it. but it wasn't because they were female. I picked them. I picked it because they were the gaps. Um, I right. try to look at everyone as very gender neutral, but at the yep. end of the day, for example, my entire testing team, um, all but one are female and it's because their attention to detail, they're fantastic testers, right. like fantastic. Um, like I said, my, my best examiner psychology degree, she's great because she really looks at the details. The other thing that I try to do, and I think where I'm a little different cause I, I literally grew up in this space is I hire a variety of ages. Mm-hmm. So I have employees um, that are in their 60s down to in their 20s. Yep. And okay. in that process, I get so much more scope of understanding what's happening with technology. Oh, yeah. Like, in, in, don't get me wrong. It can be frustrating when they're like, you are so not my generation and you're pissing me off. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, that is something I never would have seen that perspective on. And I think it's hugely valuable because of it. I've also employed all of my own children, which um, I have fired all but one of my (laughs) children and he quit. Okay. Wow. I wanted to fire him. Yeah. (laughs) 
let, lest anyone think that there's any favoritism going on. There is not. No, there is and that's none. I make <laughs> sure they work beyond the, the chopping same block job. too. <laughs> nope. They work the same jobs. They had to work their way up. And I have a mm -hmm. lot of respect for that because yeah. I think you should. Don't right. ever look at your boss and say, you know, I don't think that is part of my job. Everything is part of your job. You're a member yeah. of a team. Do you have any sort of uh, tips or observations on having such uh, an age range of uh, people on your team like that? Does, are, there, are there friction points or things that you've learned to sort of mitigate or do people just have to figure it out for themselves? I try to make it so we have universal things before everyone telecommuted and uh, Parabens actually spread out over multiple offices now uh, throughout the world. And uh, before that happened, one of the things we did is, um, don't laugh at me, but food brings people together no matter how old you are. <laughs> You're not going to hear a single giggle out of me about that. I agree so with you completely. We, we would do food sharing where, you know, people would bring in their thing, they'd share their recipes, and we still do that today. I have a couple of my staff that we, we do a food chat. That it's oh. like, hey, this is what I was barbecuing this weekend. This is my oh, yeah. rub. When I make something, I'm a big foodie. I make sure I share it out with everyone. It says, hey, here's here's this new recipe. Give it a shot. Let me know how it goes. Because it's something not about work, but it changes over all those ages. Mm. doesn't matter how old or young, you love food. Everyone loves food. Everybody likes food. Everybody likes to eat. Mm -hmm. Food uh, and dogs. Oh, dogs. especially dogs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any dogs on the team? Anyone have a... Um, we have 11 pets on the team. We are a pet-friendly workplace. Yeah. So people could bring their animals to work with them. Okay. Anyone, any of them more like a little detective ad or anything? <laughs> um, many times you will see our animals in our marketing materials. Okay. Uh, that is common. You might even hear some of mine in this interview. You might see, hear them talk. I have four dogs myself and one cat. I think so, I did hear a declaration of food at one point. Yeah, yeah. There might have been a small like uh, woo 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 happening. A small, <laughs> a small insistence that feeding time is now. Yes, that would be Siberian Huskies because I have two oh, of those. Yes. they're very chatty. Yeah, they are. They they are not quiet about their desire for no. for for meal time. No. Um, so. <laughs> So as we wrap up today, uh, could you tell us more about Paraben? We, you know, we, we, we went through the sort of the E3 platform last time, but sort of tell me about some of the, the more interesting projects, tools, or initiatives that you've got going on at this moment. So um, when we switched over and we made a unified platform, that's what our E3 platform is, yes. which is Electronic Evidence Examiner. Um, now it's really finding out those little nuggets that happen in trend. And I find it funny because people are are like, oh, you're a forensic person, you're a security person, you can't use that. That's crazy. That's from China. You know? Interesting. <laughs> Whatever yeah. it may be. I have to tell you all, I spend time on TikTok. I totally do. I've learned some amazing things. This week, I was, you know, this old when I learned that the numbers on the toaster are the number of minutes. I had uh, no idea. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the darkness. It's the number of minutes. Wow. I'm, Did you not know that? See? I'm going to need a minute here. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> no. I'm going to have to go that dark and think about this for a second. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's because I don't think I can investigate something. I don't understand how it works and how people live in it. Right. So I, I follow the trends and everything else. And that's what Paraben is really about is making sure that we're catching that cutting edge because where people spend their time with data changes. Yes. And if you don't adjust to it, then you're making a mistake or you're missing something because there's always fringe pieces of data. We were the first company that started investigating in IoT and mm. we started with Xboxes. Oh, okay. And we did that because my middle child was a huge Halo player, like mm -hmm. huge. 
by seven, he had beat all of Halo. Wow. That was his thing. Now he's, um, I'm going to say, semi-professional gamer. There's oh. not a whole lot of proud pride moment there, but he is yeah. um, playing Call of Duty. Okay. And um, it was interesting because I said, if he's spending this much time in here and he's talking to people and I was monitoring it, you know, we hacked sure. out our Xbox. So we did all that as a family because that's good family activity. Yeah. Um, and I said, other people are too. This is their primary workstation. This is their primary data source. So we need to make sure we can investigate it. And a lot of people look at some of that that we put out and go, that's crazy. What are you talking about? And I'm like, it really is the case. Mm. A lot of times when you work in technology, you forget about living with technology. And there are two different things. I work with it, and then I also live with it. And they may not yeah. be the same thing at the time. Wow. Uh, so, all right, as we wrap up today, uh, one last bonus question. If people want to yeah. know more about Amber Schroeder or Paraben, where can they go online? So Paraben is paraben.com. So P-A-R-A-B-E-N.com. Mm -hmm. hate spelling out loud. Yep. Um, and it's Paraben Corp on Twitter. Um, okay. I'm on Twitter as well as Ginger Wonder Mom. Not a big surprise here. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ginger Wonder Mom. reference my kids. So yep. not a big surprise there. And um, we're also on LinkedIn. I know a lot of people, that's how you spend your time on social media. We're on there. We yep. put out a lot of good blogs that are simple reads. I am a child of the cliff note. Right. Being dyslexic, yeah. cliff notes saved me from some really hard books. Just give me the stuff I need to know. Yep. And then let it go. So um, we do that with our blogs and they're open and available to everyone. And then a big fan on YouTube where we are paraben forensics, all one word on YouTube. All right. Well, Amber, thank you again for joining us today. This was super fun to catch up. And uh, thank you for all your time and insight on computer forensics. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Hopefully it's helpful to everybody. Yeah. And uh, so I want to note to our listeners here uh, that Amber is going to be doing a video walkthrough of Paraben's uh, computer forensic discord server. Uh, we're going to record that in just a few minutes here. Uh, so that'll definitely give you a sense of, you know, where that process of learning, sharing, collaborating in, in the field of computer forensics is going. Uh, so for people who are listening to this on uh, our audio podcast feed, uh, be aware that this will be video based and should be watched over on our YouTube page, which you can find by going to youtube.com and type in cyberwork with InfoSec. So I hope to see you there. And in the uh, meantime, I'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com, as I said, and type in cyberwork with InfoSec, and you can check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. So just search Cyberwork with InfoSec in your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, if you wouldn't mind rating or reviewing us, uh, we always enjoy that and we really do appreciate it. Uh, as I mentioned at a little promo at the top of the show, we want to hear from you about what you want to see more of on the show. So please go to www2, that's www in the numeral 2.infosecinstitute.com slash survey and you'll find a short set of questions about your listening habits and interests. Uh, if you take the survey, you'll be eligible to win a $100 Amazon gift card. That's www.infosecinstitute.com slash survey. Thank you again to Amber Schroeder, and thank you all again for watching and listening. We will speak to you next week.